I have been a part of the world before. I have been before Christ in my life before. I can tell you that everyone in your family, all your friends, will find all kinds of reasons to tell you that you shouldn't be in the house of the Lord. But that is rebellion against what God has told us. He said to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together because He's going to do special things for you here. Okay, This is where we need to be. And I've been there. And I've been there when people have tried to talk me out of my personal prayer life, when people have been there and tried to talk me out of doing certain things for God in my own home, in my own life. Too busy, too much stuff going on, right? We have got to be strong. Now I want you to listen to this question. This is in in Matthew. This is in Matthew chapter 27. Somebody trying to call me when they know I'm preaching. I don't know who that was. Before I read to you in Matthew, I want you to keep this verse in your mind. It's not really going to be the text I'm preaching from, but I want you to keep these verses in your mind. It's out of the book of Ecclesiastes. And the star will go to anybody who can tell me what that word means. What does the word Ecclesiastes mean? Does anybody know? I preached out of this book. I taught out of this book. It's called The Preacher. When you read the book of Ecclesiastes, the Ecclesiastes words means the preacher. So this is Solomon, the preacher. And this is what Solomon preached as he wrote down his preaching. He said, I have seen all of this in Ecclesiastes 8, 9 through 13. And I have carefully considered all that is done under the sun whenever one person has authority to hurt others. Then I saw, listen to this, wicked people given an honorable burial. They used to go in and out of the holy place. Remember, he just called them wicked people who were going in and out of the holy place, given an honorable burial. They were praised in the city for doing such things. Solomon says, this is pointless. Solomon said, when a sentence, listen carefully, against a crime is not carried out quickly, people are encouraged to commit crimes. A sinner may commit a hundred crimes and yet live a long life. But it will not go well for the wicked. He says, still I know with certainty that it will go well for those who fear God because they fear God. But it will not go well for the wicked. They will not live any longer. Their lives are like shadows because they do not fear God. Because the life they live here is the only life they're going to have. And you know, as Christian people, a lot of this depression and a lot of this anxiety and a lot of this, this, this thought process that's in the minds of Christians right now is, where is God when all this bad stuff is going on? And Solomon just said, 
When a sentence against a crime isn't carried out quickly, people are encouraged to commit more crimes or more sins. So to the sinner, because a lightning bolt doesn't come down from heaven right now and strike you dead when you got drunk or when you did some bad thing or when some sinner killed a person, people think, well, I'll just keep on doing that then. I'll just keep on sinning. Thieves keep on stealing. Robbers keep on robbing. Murderers keep on murdering. Drunkards keep getting drunk. And then all the while, we're over here praying and praying and praying, and man, God's slow about things, isn't He? You've been praying and praying and praying, and God hasn't done a thing. God's slow, isn't He? And you think in your little mind that because God isn't your cosmic bellhop, to take your order and come bring it out hot and juicy to you right then and there that God isn't going to do anything about whatever's going on in your life. Do not be fooled. Because God will execute judgment. God will execute judgment. Even to the sinner that keeps on sinning. So do not become discouraged, saints of God. When you see people doing evil and prospering, and even prospering at it. One might think of this presidency and his son and all the wickedness and all the things that we know. And how can it be? And why is this left go? Trust me, there will be a day when we look back on it and go, man, God put the smack down on them. And to Pontius Pilate, in which now I am going to read something to you. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as I preach to you today out of the book of Matthew chapter 27. And this is what it says. I'm going to read this a little bit before so you guys can get the gist of what's happening. Back in verse 19, just as Pontius Pilate, now let me set up the scene for you. Jesus is getting ready to be, he's going through his sentencing. He has gone through a mock trial and he's been brought to the Romans and he's been brought here for sentencing against this crime of insurrection and and claiming to be something that he's not, which is actually what Barabbas had done. Barabbas was the one who had done these things, but they were accusing Jesus of it. Now, a lot of theologians will tell you that Barabbas' name was Jesus as well. So that's the reason why Pontius Pilate makes the difference and says, what will you have me to do with Jesus called Christ? Because Jesus was also Barabbas' first name. So as Pontius Pilate sits on the judgment seat, This is what happens. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Now, folks, it would be pointless for us to try to figure out what that nightmare was. Was it God? Or was it the devil? Do you think God would try to dissuade Jesus from being killed? Or would the devil? 
I know that Peter said the same thing. I can tell you that for certainty. That when Jesus said, I must go to Jerusalem and the Son of Man must be handed over to these people. And Peter looked at him and said, No, sir, it must not be. And Jesus said, Get ye behind me, Satan. It was predetermined that Jesus had to do this. So was this God or was this the devil trying to stop Jesus from dying for your sins? Think about that. Did God use this pagan woman or did Satan? We'll talk about that later on. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas! We want Barabbas! Really? You mean to tell me that this Jesus that you seen and witnessed who loved you with all of his heart, who loved you with everything that he is, who gave his life and ministry feeding those that had no food, and these people witnessed him doing it, who witnessed the, the, the widow of Nain whose son was raised from the dead out of the coffin, and the widow's tears went from tears of pain and anguish to tears of joy as her son was raised from the dead. Or from the crowd witnessing Lazarus raising from the tomb, stinking, rottening Lazarus' body in the tomb for days as they rolled back the stone. And Jesus said, come out of there, Lazarus. And he came forth alive and well. And they witnessed it. Or the feeding of the thousands of people when they were hungry and they didn't have anything. And Jesus gave them bread and fish and break it and thank God right in front of them. But yet the people wanted Barabbas. Much like today, Jesus does all kinds of wonderful things for people. Still giving, still blessing, still healing, still giving food, still giving everything that people want. And people today shout Barabbas' name. Barabbas! We want Barabbas! The murdering thief and insurrectionist that's who they wanted. They didn't want Jesus, the Christ. Wow! How can you do that? How can you yell Barabbas' name and let Jesus go? How do you do dead things and not living things? Why do you, Jesus said, why did the angels say, you seek the dead, you seek the living amongst the dead. Why do you try to, why do you do dead things and not seek the living? Barabbas! Only one can give you life eternal. And it's not in this world where you will find it. It is in Jesus Christ. So why do we go around even unknowingly shouting for the release of Barabbas? And crucifying the Lord over and over again. Pilate responded. 
Then what should I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? You see, Pilate knew he had been warned by his wife that Jesus was an innocent man. Pilate knew and did not want this innocent man's blood on his hands. Pilate knew that. He was trying to free himself of being accused of killing him. How about you? You know who Jesus really is. Are you just trying to free yourself from the guilt of yet persecuting this innocent man with our behavior? Pilate had this plan that he was going to get Jesus freed. But he had taken for granted the fervency and the energy that these false prophets put in deceiving the crowds. And let me tell you, All are false prophets who will cause you to shout Barabbas' name in your life above Jesus. So if he's second to something, we are just as guilty. It's the same old Pharisees. It's the spirit of Satan in these people that try to keep us from freeing Jesus in our life. But the mob roared even louder. Now they went on to the next step. Crucify Him! Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Now we look at this and we go, who could do such a thing? In this day and time that we're living in, Let me just tell you that people are shouting the same shout. Do away with Jesus. Get Him off our money. Get Him off our schools. Get Him out of our workplace. Get Him out of our house. And finally, folks, let's just kick Him out of the church. We got this. Let's start ordaining homosexuals. Let's start listening to false prophets on the radio and on the TV. As they shut down little churches and take away from God's plan and God's work in people's lives. Where you can go and have yourself a nice latte and a, and a beautiful band and a beautiful place and the Word of God is just exempt from that. But boy, you got yourself a show. It's the same old shout. Where Jesus is not, Satan is. And the Word of God must be taught. It must be understood. It must be explained. It must be preached to where people know it and hear it and they shout not for Barabbas. For we have a choice we know better. Have you not seen Him in your life? Have you not experienced His goodness? 
then why would we ever accept Barabbas in our lives, so to speak, over him? That's the modern church involving themselves in as much of a satanic and devil-controlled crowd as this one. Let me tell you, that's absolutely the truth. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that the riot was developing. Wow, that sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? That almost makes me laugh. Pilate was trying to control this group and that what they wanted, they were going to riot for. That's interesting, is it not? Pilate saw he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing, so he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. Listen to what the people yelled back at Pilate. And all the people yelled back, we will take responsibility for his death. Listen to this. Listen to this. We and our children. Want to know why they've went through such a hard time ever since this day? Because they publicly accepted the sinner over Christ and said, let Jesus' blood be on us. You know, there is a certain responsibility that you take as a Christian. You see, just as I said before, these people too, they had witnessed who Jesus was. They had seen three years of His public ministry. They had seen Him raise the dead. They had seen Him give sight to the blind. They had seen Him heal the lepers, give hearing to the deaf. They had seen Him do miraculous wonders, even so much, much as the Scripture says, All the books in the world could not contain what he did. And so his identity as the Messiah, the son of the living God, was so obvious there is no excuse. I tell you the truth. That Jesus in your life, there is absolutely, we are fully responsible for what we do then with this man who is called the Christ. What are you going to do with him? What are you going to do with him in your life? And let me just ask you, what are you going to do with him? Let me stress that word because there's two ways to look at this. What are you going to do with him? What am I going to do with Jesus, man? Am I going to accept him as my personal savior? And what are you going to do with him? Man, I want to do this with the Lord today. I want to witness to somebody today. I want to serve in the church today. I want to get better as a Christian today. I want to do whatever God asked me to do today. What am I going to do with him or what am I going to do with him? That's, a, that's, that's, that's like a, a, a question that can be looked at in many different ways. So what are you going to do then with this man called Christ? Are you going to serve him? Are you going to get off your pity pot and look at Christ and say, you got this under control and I'm going to go forward and I'm going to serve you and I'm going to get as many people saved as I possibly can and I'm going to be the best Christian that I possibly can. I'm going to be obedient to your word. Is that what we're going to do? 
But it's a major question that each one of us has to answer each and every single day we get up out of the bed. What then shall I do with this man called Christ? Now the other day, I sent you all texts throughout my day. Because as a pastor, I'm supposed to be a good example. And I'm supposed to equip you for the work of the ministry. That's my job. To equip you for the work of the ministry. What's the work of the ministry? The first work of the ministry is you need to be getting your family saved. They need to be in here. You need to get every child that you know and can get your hands on and bring them to VBS. we already seen the miracle that happened with Pilar. Just one miracle. Pilar was saved and then died. Had we not had that VBS, Pilar wouldn't have made it. Very good chance. You need to be working your tails off to get people saved. That's your first job. That's the first thing we do as Christians. And we make opportunity for Christ to work in our lives, our personal life. We have to cultivate our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what you have to do. You have to become more like Him every day. The only way that you can accomplish that is to read your Bible every day. When I texted you, first thing in the morning, read your Bible, I said. I waited to 8 a.m. to start sending those texts because most people don't get up as early as I do. Get up. What do you do? You start your day not with your physical breakfast. The breakfast that's more important to you is the bread of life. Feed your inner man the strength that comes from heaven. The Word of God. The living bread of God. Feed it. Read it. Because you do not know what the day will bring forth. And the last thing you want to do is walk into a desert with an inner man who hasn't had a drink of water in a week. You better get some fluids in you. And I texted you throughout the day. Every now and again, I would text you. You see, there's always a moment you can be praying. I don't care where you work. You don't work eight hours. I've been a manager for longer than most people's been alive. I'm telling you, nobody works for a solid eight hours. You got a moment. And I showed you moments. In my world. And let me tell you, if someone gets close to working eight hours, it's Jay Keaton. I got up in the morning before I started. I read my Bible. It was the first thing I did. Then I ate my physical food. I fed the inner man first, showing God that the most important thing in this world is not bread that comes from this world that will come out of me into the drought, as Jesus says, but the bread that comes from heaven that feeds this inner man, which will get me into eternity, folks. Do the eternal things first. Read your Bible. Ask God to guide you. Pray. That's the second thing you do. You read that scripture and you ask God to guide you and lead you. And remember what the text said that I sent you. Lord, give me opportunity to serve you. And let me see the opportunity when it comes. Let me see the open door that I can step into it. Let me see the person that needs to be saved. Let me see the person that needs hands laid on. Let me see the person that needs a a word of encouragement. When I was in Kentucky yesterday, I was meeting my daughter for a a dinner in, in Mount Sterling, Kentucky. I said, God opened a door for me. There was a woman selling fireworks of all things over there in Ollie's parking lot. And I went over there and I had prayer with that woman because God told me to. 
I held her hand, the hand of a stranger. And I said, you need prayer? She goes, I sure do. She started crying and I held her hand and I had prayer for her, folks. That's what you need to do. Stop being a weakling in the spirit and get with the program. Put your big girl pants on and big boy pants on. Come on, let's go. We got marching to do. I went over there and I had prayer with that woman. When I sent you the text, I looked for open. I knew, knew I was going to have meetings with people. And I asked God, listen, God, I don't want to serve work really well, that well, but I want to do good at work, but I want to serve you even better. I want to see if I can get this person to come to church. I'm going to see if I can get this person saved. I'm going to ask this person if they have need of prayer for anything in their life. When's the last time you asked even a, a person you knew if they needed prayer? let alone a stranger. The Bible said that Jesus, when He was coming back through the Samaria, He said that when He was coming back through Israel, He said, I must needs go through Samaria to talk to a stranger at the well, the woman at the well who got saved, who got her life delivered and went back and told everyone about Jesus. The church grew that day over a meeting with a stranger. And remember the text that I sent you as I was walking through my day? I do that every day. And that's not a strange thing. That's not a miraculous thing. You should be doing that too. You're getting ready to go to the grocery store. You get up in the morning, you've read your Bible, you've ate your breakfast, you've got the Word of life, God's in your heart, you're saved, and you want some, someone else to be saved because, because you know the goodness that's in your heart, you want to give it to someone else. And so you get ready to go to Kroger, and you got your list in your little hand, and you want to go and you got things to go, Lord, open the door for me. Boy, and you're walking down the aisle on fire for God, and the first person you come by and the Spirit says, that's the one. You go and say, hey, how you doing? You need prayer today. Sounds cray-cray, doesn't it, to some of you? No, that's what you should do. You don't know where that person's at. You don't know if that person's going to go home and commit suicide. You don't know if that person's child just, just didn't get committed to some rehab because they're a drug addict. You don't know if that cashier, what she's going to do with her life in the next minute. What are you doing? Meandering aimlessly through God's abundant harvest. Strawberries ready to pick all around you and you just walking by them. I'll see no strawberries here. Where is there a strawberry here? Oh, oh, I tripped on a, what was that I tripped on? Oh, my, my big strawberry. I don't want to see no strawberries. You're in God's harvest and you ain't doing a thing with it. Pick some. That's what you got to do. And as I walked through that text, I shared with you, boy, at my lunch today, you're looking forward to the provisions of God. I'm thanking God even before I eat my lunch. I'm thanking God for the food I'm going to have. I talked to a man named Ramadan, of all things, and Muslim. I was getting gas in my car the other day to, to, to take my trip down to Kentucky. I was at Kroger using my Kroger points for my kids stealing Man pulls up next to me in the pump next to me. And I said, hey, how you doing today? Is God treating you good today? And he says, I'm good today, man. I said, where are you from? He said, I'm from East Africa. My name is Ramadan. I said, Ramadan, God is good every day, isn't he? Yes, sir. He is good. He goes, I'm trying to come into this country. He goes, I'm a refugee. I said, well, welcome here, man. Can I have prayer with you? Yeah, you should do that too. You're thinking to yourself, man, I'd like to hang out with Pastor Jay one time. This could be, this could be fun. Your life can be that way too. All you got to do is do it. 
And I talked to Ramadan. He's waiting for his wife to come here. She's not going to be here for about another year and a half. And he said, you know, I love this country. He goes, but Americans, man. He goes, they take for granted all of the wonders of the, and the beauty of this land. He goes, Mommy, he goes, there's food everywhere. He goes, it's not a question if you're going to eat today. It's when and how much. He goes, look, that Kroger right there. He said, Kroger. He goes, I can go in there and I can eat. He goes, I can go to a food bank and I can eat. He goes, Americans take for granted so much. I said, preach it, brother. Preach it. Yes, you do. You're going to go and you're going to have yourself something to eat when people don't know if they're going to eat anything today in this world. And God's blessing you. He's blessing you. He's blessing you. And all the while, He keeps asking you, what are you going to do then with this man called Christ? Oh no, God, let me eat all your blessings and take all the things that you've done to me. And maybe I'll think of you today sometime. Maybe this week. Maybe. Maybe. Are you kidding me? Ask Ramadan. Tammy asked me, where you been for so long? I said, I've been talking to Ramadan. Who? I said, a Muslim at Kroger. I was bringing Jesus to him. Because that's what I do. And that's what you should do. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. And when you do that, this church will grow. And you know what? I don't want rejects from other churches. People say to me, well, this church has grown by leaps and bounds because one other church went out and they come to your church. That's not church growth. Church growth is when someone out there who doesn't know Jesus gets saved and comes to your church. That's church growth. When Baptist churches shut down and they go to other Baptist churches, that ain't church growth. That's an abomination. And there, you drive through this community right here and you're going to see... Dozens of churches around this area where pagan churches has took over Christian churches. That's not churches growing. That's churches shutting down. And the people that went to that church, they're now going to the church across the street from Shelley. And they're building on and building on. You think them people's getting saved and coming in there? You're foolish to think that. Go ask. Those are Christian churches that's shutting down and they heard of a nice guy that lives across the street from Shelley and Rich. And so they're coming to that church. And boy, we're growing by leaps and bounds over here. No, you're not. No, you're not. Church growth, biblically, by the biblical standard, is those who get saved and come to church. Not those who quit other churches and fill the church up. You got me? The church is supposed to grow in conflict. People like Ramadan. That is how you glorify God. Step by step in your day. Like I showed you. I hope you kept the texts. And you can flip through them. Use me as an example. That's every day in Jay Keaton's life. Every single day. I don't go anywhere without Christ. I don't do anything without asking to be used by my master. I don't do any. I'm a tool. I'm a tool. I want to be used. I don't want to sit in the toolbox and not be used. 
I want to function for God. I want to glorify God. I want to do what God says. Do it. Do it. Do it. I said a long time ago, this church should be dealing with children. And some of the greatest growth and greatest miracles we've seen has been with children. God told me that. We'll have hardly any kids here for, that come to regular church, but we'll have 10, 15, 20 kids show up for VBS. It's a miracle. And it doesn't have to be some big production. And I told her that downstairs. Listen, I don't want glitz and glitches and big things. Just bring them Jesus. Give them the Lord. Sow a seed on their heart. That's all. And I wanted to do it while my grandkids are here. Because I don't know that they'll ever get another shot at it with my son. I'm just being honest. I'm strategizing, trying to get my grandchildren to remember something about Jesus. And just the other day, when we sat down to eat, Emma said, thank you, Lord Jesus, for my food. Amen. Praise you, God in heaven. She used the name that is above all names for the first time in her six-year-old life. How about your kids? Because Jesus is not a byword. He's not a curse word. He is a word that is His name is above all names and is the only name by which we must be saved and is sacred in my, house, in my home. My six-year-old used His name to thank Him. I can tell you this. She can ascend to no higher heights in my life. She couldn't be anything greater if she was the leader of some company someday. If she was the owner of a billion dollar business someday, she will have never done anything greater than what she did in my eyes when she prayed to Jesus in thanks. I don't care how smart someone is. I don't care what they can do. Let me tell you something. Great and good people go to hell every day. I want to see them again one day. I want to go and I want them to be where I'm at. When I leave, I plan on telling them. I plan on telling my kids and my grandkids, listen, when I die, I want you to remember this, that I went to heaven. I want you there. When you see me laying in the casket and I'm all dead, remember I'm alive in heaven and I want you there. Folks, I hope I stirred something in you this morning. I hope the Holy Spirit has touched your heart this morning. I hope God has spoke strong in you this morning. I hope God has woke something up in you this morning and He's got you back on fire again this morning and you don't let the devil quench it when you walk out the door. Stand with me.